Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and let's do part two of small bowel obstruction. And we left off last time talking about how we look at dilated loops of bowel, look at where transition points are. So, for example, you see this case, the patient had obstruction due to a uh, right inguinal hernia, very nicely shown there. And you can see we commonly see hernias, but often things can twist, or if the neck is narrow, it can cause obstruction. And if this is not fixed, sometimes it can be reduced at bedside. If it's not surgically fixed, the patient could get ischemic bowel and infarction. And sometimes you see large hernias, and you say, well, I'm not sure how important this is, but you see this large hernia here, and now you see the dilated loops, which aren't enhancing as well. And then you see some ascites and this haziness, this mistiness within the hernia. Whenever you see that fat being inflamed, the bowel loops are dilated, that means this patient has a surgical emergency. It's not just simply to say there's a hernia there and it could be a problem, but the loops are dilated, there's haziness, there's a misty mesentery, there's fats inflamed. To me, that's the earliest signs of ischemia, and this patient needs to go to surgery. And you can see from even the sagittal views, those loops look dilated, they look kind of ugly. This patient needs to go to surgery. And you can see in this case, the surgical defect the, the hernia defect was relatively small. Very large defects, you're not going to have incarcerated hernias or you're not going to see the twisting. Um, they'll just sit there, but here, small point, boy, you got to be really, really careful. There's just a few more images. Now, I've showed you hernias, internal hernias. I've shown you external hernias. Um, when we talk about bowel obstruction, we also think about tumors and tumors are about 5%. You can see a case like this patient with nausea and vomiting presents for bowel obstruction. Unfortunately, this patient has a tumor of the tail of the pancreas, which is invading the duodenum just past the ligament of trites, and that's what's causing obstruction. So sometimes tumors can cause obstruction, but the tumors are not primary small bowel tumors. They're extrinsic and involving secondarily, like this pancreatic cancer. A more common might be this case, nausea and vomiting. You look and look at the duodenum and proximal jejunum. You see even on these axial images, everything is thickened, it's abnormal. And you look a little bit closer now in the coronal, you really get a good look at the dilated duodenum to ligament of trites. Then you see the wall thickening, and then you see the transition, which you can see very nicely here in the MIP imaging. And that was a duodenal cancer classic appearance and you can see it very well when I do the cinematic because now you see the fluid in the duodenum you see the thickened folds you see the infiltration by the ligament of trites here it is again with a view from above and cinematic rendering is kind of interesting in this case I've I outlined the air within the bowel the fluid and where the fluid transition is and that's where the patient's tumor is you can also see not just adenocarcinoma, but large bulky tumors. It's hard to tell where the small bowel begins and ends, but this was a B-cell lymphoma in an HIV patient. Look at the size of the tumor, the ulcerations, the bowel obstruction. Look at it on the coronal view. And lymphoma is one of the things that can get large and not involve bowel, but in other cases like this, it indeed does. Or in this case, where you have the infiltration in the root of the mesentery, look at that sandwich sign, 
as it tracks around the vessels. Look at the size of that mass. And interestingly, there's no substantial bowel obstruction. A few loops are maybe minimally prominent, but I think sometimes you have processes like lymphoma, and what happens is things, things infiltrate around the vessels, things infiltrate in the mesentery, but things push. And lymphoma is a great pusher. Though I showed you a large ulcerating lymphoma with obstruction, but look how big that mass was. Here, this is pretty impressive as well, but you can see the infiltration into the root of the mesentery, and the bowel is just beginning to get dilated. Eventually, you can get obstruction, but early on, you may not. This article a couple years back, neoplasms account for about 70% of intersusceptions in adults. So when we talk about obstruction, one of the things that you think about with obstruction, hernia, intersusception. Intersusception can be benign causes like meckles, can be tumors, inflammatory polyps or lipomas, or can be malignant tumors, be it adenocea, lymphoma, metastasis such as melanoma, for example. And it also can be functional, celiac and Crohn's are two possibilities. Just some numbers, malignant tumors cause 30% of interceptions in the small bowel and 50% of interceptions in the large bowel in adults. Adenocarcinoma is the most common cause of small bowel interceptions, though I will admit I'm seeing more common now metastasis and if I think of metastasis, I think about metastatic melanoma. That seems to be a very, very classic appearance. There are many things that can go to bowel, lung cancer, breast cancer, renal, but melanoma is what I think of most. So some examples. Here's a patient with a beautiful intersusception, lower abdomen. You can see that, that kind of intersusception appearance, the target. And that was a patient with Pusiegris who had a polyp intersuscepting. Patients with Puth-Jagris commonly get interceptions, but they're often intermittent. And here it is with cinematic rendering, just very nicely, again, showing you the mass, showing the interception, showing you that the rest of the bowel, for the most part, is not very dilated, which kind of tells me this is kind of coming and going. Now, when we also speak about obstruction, we talk about inflammatory disease, Crohn's disease. With Crohn's, we look for all sorts of things, from activity of disease, and for activity, we look at mucosal hyperenhancement, we look at wall thickening, we look at the comb sign, we look at this uh, mural stratification, we look at the mesenteric fat, we look at relationships of small bowel to large bowel, and we often look at follow-up studies. With enterography, when you have good opacification and a good injection, you may see prominent enhancement of bowel because of the inflammatory component of Crohn's disease. And you can see it very nicely here, the prominent vascularity. And the prominent vascularity is what really gives you the comb sign. And the comb sign is typically described not in large bowel, but in small bowel. And just some examples of obstruction. Here's a dilated loop of bowel. There's a large enterolith present there. And you can see it's obstructed distal to it where the patient has hyperenhancement of the small bowel. And you can see the transition point. Very nice sign here. I'll mark it for you of a transition. You can see the disease is active because the mucosa is hyperenhancement. So active Crohn's, high attenuation, transition point, beautiful example. Another case, this patient presented with bowel obstruction. Look how distended the bowel is. And we follow it downward, and you see that the colon itself is not dilated. There's fiber fatty proliferation. And when you look carefully, 
what you really look at is, is a loop of small bowel which is not dilated but in fact is collapsed. This is the sign of transition which you can see very nicely as I label it. And then you ask the question, well, what's going on here? Well, could this be a tumor? There's an increased incidence of cancer in Crohn's patients. This could very well be a tumor. There's narrowing, enhancement, and we worried about a tumor because we've seen a number of cases of that. This patient had surgery because of the obstruction. This was simply inflammatory. That surgery was palpable, but it was simply inflammatory. So again, um, I, I think for in terms of obstruction, we could say exactly where the obstruction is, but we couldn't tell at times the disease activity, and surely whether it's a tumor on top of inflammation, it can be tricky, but we're really good at looking at the presence or absence of obstruction, the location of obstruction, and at many times being more specific as to etiology. This whole idea about CT enterography, I've spoken about that before. So just to remind you that CT is excellent in Crohn's disease. We try to balance CT and MR to minimize patient dose. But again, the intestinal activity, the inflammation, the bowel distension, very, very high accuracy. And again, as noted in this article, um, the coronal views can be very helpful. We use coronal, we use volume rendering, we even use cinematic, but looking only at the axials tends to underestimate exactly what's going on, and transition points are often hard to see only on axial imaging. Now, since the talk is about obstruction, I thought I'd put just a few other things that are kind of obstruction. One is SMA syndrome. We talk about that in patients with marked weight loss, anorexia nervosa, and we talk about how the you can see nicely here the angle of the aorta is decreased, the distance between the aorta and the SMA is decreased, and so what do you get? What two structures are between the SMA and the aorta? One is the duodenum, one is the left renal vein, so you get compression of the renal vein, you get nutcracker syndrome, and you get obstruction of the bowel. Now when we talk about the SMA syndrome, we talk about the narrowed angle, the narrow distance, but also simply having a narrowed angle doesn't mean anything. Some people who are very skinny, some people who have had weight loss, they can also have a narrowed angle. But you can see in this case, the stomach is dilated, the duodenum is dilated, you follow the duodenum downward and the distance between the SMA and the aorta is decreased. And if you look at the coronal, the transition of dilated bowel is right at the SMA very nicely shown on these images and that transition point is the diagnosis and you go back look how narrow things are but it's not a surprise to you this was SMA syndrome not just simply narrowing of the SMA if I see narrowing of the SMA angle I'll say something but I'll say that in order to call SMA syndrome I need to see dilated bowel here's another example nausea vomiting look at the duodenum look how dilated it is and you can see as it goes from right to left, it's compressed at the level of the SMA. You look at the SMA, the angles markedly decreased. You very nicely see the transition. So just a really good example of SMA syndrome causing bowel obstruction. This goes back to my point about causes of obstruction. Vessels can be an etiology. Always look at the sagittal view. You'll always know if the SMA angle is indeed correct. Another example, look at the duodenum, it's dilated, the SMA angle is decreased, you can see it, but a very nice example of the dilated duodenum, the compression, that angle right there, and beyond that, the bowel looks good. So 
These are patients who may need surgery. Uh, people sometimes get bypasses. A number of different ways of managing the patient based on age. But the point is, it is one of the causes of bowel obstruction. Another example recently, look at that dilated duodenum. It's tracking to midline. You look at the angle of the SMA to aorta. It looks like there's no room. Here it is in the coronal view. On coronals, you don't appreciate the distance between the SMA and aorta, but you do appreciate the dilated bowel up to the point of where the SMA should be. Here it is again. Look at that beautiful appearance of the SMA. Look at the 3D appearance, and you can see that very nicely. And here it is in cinematic. I thought I would share that in cinematic, but just a beautiful example of the narrowed SMA angle. Very, very important. And again, it's something to think about as causes of obstruction. And we are seeing this more commonly in younger patients. Some people have had anorexia nervosa. Some of these patients just have had a lot of symptoms, and no one's ever thought of that possibility. The last thing I'll just comment on, aortenteric fistula. Uncommon, but we are seeing it more as patients are getting more aortic aneurysm repairs. Classic triad, abdominal pain, massive GI bleeding, and pulsatile mass. The thing about aortic enteric fistula is they can present as bowel obstruction. You can see air within the aortic lumen or adjacent to the aorta, contrast extravasation from aorta to bowel or vice versa, the effacement of the plane between the aorta and adjacent bowel, focal bowel wall thickening adjacent to the aorta, and the periaortic soft tissue thickening and fluid may be seen. Now, it's important to remember it's typically a older population, and most commonly the fistula occurs at the level of the duodenum. So here's a nice example. This patient has an enlarging aneurysm, had already had an endovascular repair, and you can see what's happened here is this uh, large aneurysm has eroded into the patient's duodenum. Just a very, very impressive example. Now, fortunately, they are rare. Again, the importance of the sagittal view, but those are indeed rare findings. So I've gone through with you a number of different things about small bowel obstruction, the importance of the diagnosis, some of the possibilities, the role imaging plays as a critical rapid triage. And I think with that, if you look at a lot of cases, I think you're going to do a really good job. Have a great day. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.